people today. And uh, we had a, a wonderful uh, Juneteenth service last week, good time of worship and, and word, and to talk about some beautiful and hard things. And so uh, shout out to them. Um, well, we're going through a sermon series right now called Worship for the Weary, Weary Souls, Communal Habits, and Daily Rhythms of Grace. And we're taking each part of a liturgy within this devotional that we're going through called the Daily Prayer Project. And in that, the hope is to better understand how do we worship God within our daily habits. Now, of course, that's not to assume that everyone in here does not know how to worship the Lord in their own way. But the hope is that this could be a resource um, and helpful as you walk in the Lord. And today I have the privilege of speaking on Psalms. And if you didn't get a chance to go through that devotional today, well, just know that you get a chance to check off Psalms on your list because we're going to go through Psalm 77. That's that's a psalm of this morning, and so I figured it's appropriate to to go through that as we seek the Lord in his word. If you want to switch to that next slide for me, Hunter. Um, So, again, here's the format that we're following. We spoke about the call to worship within this devotional, and now we're going through Psalms. And if you want to hit that for me one more time, um, I want to start off by, actually, go back. Don't look, y'all. Don't look. All right. (laughs) I want to start off by just uh, sharing a a wonderful experience that I got to to have a few weeks ago um, with with the Huffs and with uh, Alan McPherson. We got a chance to check out King's Kaleidoscope in Indy. I don't know if y'all listen to King's Kaleidoscope or not. They're wonderful alternative slash hip-hop slash jazz slash you name it. It's probably in there kind of band. <laughs> and one of the things that I appreciated about going to that, that concert is they performed this one song that I wasn't expecting to hear, but that I really, really enjoy. And that song is called A Prayer. And the time that I heard this song was back in, I think it was like 2016, when they released this song on their project, Beyond Control. Also, I'm a music nerd, so I'm going to say all these details about this music in hopes that y'all check it out someday. Um, But there's so much heart in this song. And what I want to do is just take time to read the second verse of this song because it reminds me of a song. And so now you can switch over to that slide. And I just want y'all to take time to soak in what's being said. Um, And yes, it is a very somber prayer. It says, if I fall or if I misstep, if I fall or if I misstep, if I call you with my last breath, will you be there for me after? Because I'm wasting in this silence and my fear is vicious, violent. I'm a child thrown to lions. Is there hope on the horizon? if I fall, or if I misstep. Now, I am curious how many of y'all have heard King's Kaleidoscope before. Okay. So me sharing this song and announcing that I'm about to share these lyrics, I'm sure some of y'all are probably like feeling a little nervous about which lyrics are going to get posted up here. And for context, this song, the first time that I listened to it and saw it on iTunes, I saw that there was a clean track list in an explicit track list for this song in particular, which can be a bit jarring within the context of a Christian-based band. 
Rather than using vicious violent, he chooses a word I'd argue stings a lot more and even leaves me reacting with this, this slight flinch or this squint. You know what I'm saying? You hear certain things and you just kind of flinch. To some, a song like this would be considered problematic, and that could be because of the word choice itself, or it could be the decision to publish this song to a public space knowing that it has an explicit word. Now, y'all check that out on your own time, you know what I'm saying? I'm not about to post that or announce that here, you know? But today my goal isn't to debate on what's appropriate or or what's not as a musician who is a Christian. But I do think that this song, within this proper context, expresses a raw and horrific pain that exists within the writer. Writer is Chad Gardner. And in an interview, he said, a prayer, which is a song, is a complete dissonance with feeling the truth of the gospel. Feeling, not hearing, feeling the truth of the gospel. This could be another way of saying not being in sync with God or out of touch. It's possible to have this feeling for a number of reasons in our lives. Often this kind of feeling results in agony, sorrow, or apathy, not wanting to feel at all. To go to God in a state like this is unpolished. In the Bible, we see many unpolished as they go to the Lord, and we see a whole lot of that in the Psalms. There are moments of praise, for sure, but there are moments of deep agony. And this song begins with a dark, ambient sound filled with thick 808 lines coursing through the speakers while remaining void of hope. This song filled with this darkness and yet absent of hope, at least starting that way. And then there's a brief interlude in this song, a pause, a really long pause that makes you think that the song is over kind of pause. But what happens then is there's this subtle string melody that starts to play, representing that there is a still voice there. And after those strings play a few measures, in comes this dynamic band playing strong horns, drums, everything. And in that, we get a feeling that Jesus is responding to this prayer, a response that doesn't necessarily take the author away from his situation or his pain, but reminds him that I do love you. He's showing this through putting his life on the line. And sometimes we just need to hear and knowing our guts, and to feel that God loves us. So the title of my sermon is, God Listens to Your Songs. He listens. You know what I'm saying? It pops up on the Spotify radar, new artist. He's tapping in. And my objectives for today are three. You know what I'm saying? First, to discuss and read Psalm 77 with a poetic lens. Psalms are poetry. Songs. And to do that, when we read together, we just we don't focus on just what's being said, but we focus on how that's being said. In poetry, it's okay to ask, how do you feel when you read this? Because the author wants to know, or they want you to know how they feel when they're writing this stuff. 
And they want us to think about the vivid imagery. They want us to think about the repetition, what's being said over and over again. They want us to think about emotions and reactions, and they want us to think about the rhythm in the poem. Second, I want us to view our diagram. If you want to hit that slide for me, Hunter. In this diagram, we, we, we think about the liturgy of the world, the liturgy of religion, and the liturgy of Jesus, which is a song. And third, I want us to apply the liturgy of Jesus to our lives. So, so we can kind of swing on a pendulum, you know what I'm saying? We don't always just stick in one spot. We just kind of sway one way or the other way. We kind of need to come right in the middle here. And what's incredible about the book of Psalms is that it does a solid job of conveying more than one feeling, right? According to the Daily Prayer Project, Psalms form the core language of prayer for the people of God and have done so for thousands of years. The Psalms give us language and postures of heart and body to express in the presence of God. From the book of Psalms, there's primarily these two categories that we see stand out. One is a um, sharing psalms of lament, and the other is psalms of worship and praise, right? The lament being this, this section where we feel fury and anger and agony or frustration, you know, and, and I hope that some of these words are hitting with y'all as y'all think about the psalm or the songs of your life. These psalms focus on what's wrong in the world and in the author's life. In these psalms, there's an urgency for God to do something, to deliver justice, to deliver mercy. Psalms of praise are these moments of joy and celebration joy and celebration in light of the good that God has done and that he continues to do. This happens through remembering all that God has done, and it means that he will continue to do good things because he's a good God. And Psalm 77 has a mix of these things. And so we're going to go ahead, put on our poetic lens, and we're going to listen to Psalm 77. So let's read this passage together. And I'm going to treat it like a story. All right, verse 1. I cry out to God. Oh, sorry. Yep, you got it. Cry out to God. Yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was in deep trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. I think of God and I moan, overwhelmed with longing. For his help. If you don't let me sleep, I'm too distressed even to pray. I think of the good old days long since ended when my nights were filled with joyful songs. I search my soul and ponder the difference now. Has the Lord rejected me forever? Will he never again be kind to me? Is his unfailing love gone forever? Have his promises permanently failed? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he slammed the door on his compassion? And I said, this is my fate. The Most High has turned his hand against me. But then I recall all you have done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. They are constantly in my thoughts. I cannot stop thinking about your mighty works. 
O God, your ways are holy. Is there any God as mighty as you? You are the God of great wonders. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. By your strong arm, you redeem your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. When the Red Sea saw you, O Lord, its waters looked and trembled. The sea quaked to its very depths. The clouds poured down rain. The thunder rumbled in the sky. Your arrows of lightning flashed. Your thunder roared from the whirlwind. The lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway no one knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. I'm going to pray for us real quick. Lord, thank you that you are good when life isn't. And it's so hard for us to hold those things in tandem. It feels like one or the other at times, God. But teach us, teach us, Lord, that you give us space to lament, to complain, and to praise your name. See your name we pray. Amen. So in this psalm, I'm seeing there's two ways we can split this passage. The first is we can split it in an obvious format by paying attention to these moments of interlude, which are meant to be pauses. They're meant for us to be able to read and then pause and take our time. The second is that we can also see this this tone switch from lament to praise, verses 1 through 10 being the section of lament And then this key word kind of works its way in before verse 11, and that's the word but, B-U-T. Right before 11 through 20, this gives us the introduction to the hope of the passage. These are our moments to breathe in between the lines so that we can read and soak in the words, those interludes that I was talking about. But it's also a time where we need to take a breather from the heaviness because the author wants us to feel that. Notice the pathways and tones between these interludes. In verses 1 through 10, we see the writer begging. They are pleading to God as they are in trouble, right in the middle of all that mess. There's action filled with haste and exclamation, and I imagine that these words are meant to be shared verbally. God hears our hearts. He knows our prayers but sometimes it just hits different when you shout it. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we just need to shout what we need from God. And then verses 4 through 9, I imagine this scene switching from action statements like I cry, I shout, I search, I prayed to a more dreadful condition. You don't let me sleep. I'm distressed. Why, God? Why must my heart be in so much pain? I can't rest. Now I can't even pray. In verses 1 through 9, there's begging and pleading to the Lord. They're constantly searching for the Lord in their distress. And even so, they don't feel any comfort right away. 
The character reflects on the good times, but brings them back to sorrow and despair because they recognize this contrast. This, I'm, I'm suffering right now, and it's hard for me to see that you were good. It's hard for me to remember those good times, Lord. These reflections actually start to cause questioning on if the Lord is for or against them. In moments like these, they wonder if God is still good at all or God, did I do something wrong? Are you angry with me? Is this your wrath upon me? They start to believe that God is inflicting his wrath. By verse 10, they conclude, this must be my fate then. I must be in God's wrath. He must have forgotten me or something. Now, you look at verses 11 through 20, and it looks different from 1 through 10, and you, and you start to feel like certainly they know that none of this is true. They, they know this ain't true. They, they know that God is, is not against them. God is for them. But it's difficult to sit both truth and our feelings at the table, at the same table, right? It's difficult to know truth and to feel that. You can go ahead and switch to this diagram, Hunter. I want to take this first half that we talk about of of this dread and think, where could we see the liturgy of the world embrace in our culture from that first half? Now, the passage itself is teaching us a beautiful thing to go to God in our distress. But we often feel like we have to lounge in this pit of despair and not look to God for our hope at all. The world can communicate to us, yes, you can bring up your complaint, but just know that there's no solution. And unfortunately, we can get caught in this this cycle of complaint and dissatisfaction. Sometime back, and I got to give credit to my wife, Kat, uh, she had to correct me on my understanding of complaining because for some reason I grew up thinking it was simply associated with, like, discontentment and nagging. And, you know, every time I hear complain, it's easy for me to go and say, no, no, I'm not complaining. Like, I'm not nagging about it or anything, right? For some reason, I grew up thinking that that's what complaint was. Like, there's this annoyance associated with it. And maybe I heard the phrase stop complaining so many times growing up, I assume that all complaining is bad. But we can complain for the right reasons. Psalm 142, verses 1 through 2, uh, yeah, 1 through 2 says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. Hmm. Amen. Hallelujah, indeed. It's not to the thin air we give our complaints to, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we're taught to sink into a pit of despair and believe that there's no way out. So our aching is given to this thin air. I don't know about you guys, but my tendency is when I'm feeling hopeless is not to talk to anybody at all. I give my complaints to my own head. I don't like admitting when I'm hurting, when I'm not doing well. I don't like to draw attention to when I'm hurt. And for some reason, it's actually hard to use my words or to mentally pray to God, too. 
to the point to where I start feeling like I have to run through this wall in order to speak to God. It becomes a barrier. And for some reason, it becomes easy to stay in this spot rather than giving it to God. The psalmist says, all night long I prayed with hands lifted towards heaven, but my soul was not comforted. It's easy to shut down and feel hurt and eventually become apathetic to my own pain. You ain't got to raise your hand, but anybody ever done that before? Rhetorical question. (laughs) The other habit we lean towards is this ceaseless complaining. We might have family and friends that we complain to with no desire for any true resolve or solutions. And what I mean by this is we stay in our dissatisfaction and we let others know we're unsatisfied and we bring them with us. This is why it's so easy for our culture to make the topic of conversations with friends, sessions of complaining or gossip. While it's important to have a space with our complaints and for for folks we can bring into this mess to hear these things, it often turns into this target practice against people or situations that we don't love. These concerns get mixed up with venting and slandering people that we don't enjoy, and then it just stays there, and you will forever envy that person that did that one thing or said that one thing that they did to you, and it just, just kind of stays there. And I get it. People cause real harm. There's certain situations that cause real harm. That's not to ignore any of that. People say dumb things, and they hurt your feelings. But we can't stay there forever. And yet, we don't really know how to get out of that either, do we? Now, thankfully, God doesn't give us this, this time stamp to get out of our pain. Hurry up and get out of it. You know what I'm saying? He's not doing that. Lament requires time, but this is to acknowledge that it's easy for us to complain without looking forward. So although it can be easy to fall into the liturgy of the world, let's also not forget that there's this liturgy of religion that taints the way we do things too. And so we're going to revisit the second half here. The psalmist says by verses 11 through 15, wait a minute, I've seen the work of God in my life and in the life of others. And so I know he can't be against me. It doesn't feel that way, but I know that it can't be that he's against me. There's no way that he's run out of unfailing love. There's no way that he's forgotten to be gracious to me. He's great. He's mighty. He's holy. Are there any other gods as strong or magnificent as you, God? This this is a good reaction to have. You know, isn't this true about God that he's beautiful, he's wonderful, he's magnificent, all these things? He he takes time to remember that, that God is indeed faithful. Where this works well is when lament and praise come together, but Often religion don't teach us that. Often religion likes to say, forget about that lament part. God is good. You're going to be all right. Religion has this tendency to teach us that we must fake it or we must overlook our pain. In the words of Elsa from Frozen, conceal, don't feel. Put those raw emotions down or pretend like they are not there. Know that God has you covered, so you don't need to process your pain or express that. And also, don't get lippy with God. You better be careful. 
Watch it now. And this is where religion teaches us the act of theater, the ability to put on this fake face in front of God, who actually knows how we feel better than anybody. And for this reason, you know, there could be several, actually. Not just one reason, there could be multiple. Maybe one of those reasons is because we've just been taught that because God is holy and we're not, we have to be careful with the way that we speak to God. The words in the first half of the psalm is probably seen as a prayer that the culture of religion tells us not to pray. Don't pray that. It's easy to read it, but that happened to them. You shouldn't be doing that. It's seen as an example of what not to do, and so ultimately we end up submitting to what religion says rather than what God says by being too careful rather than too real. Maybe it's from fear of opening up to God because we open up to others, but we often shut down too quickly. We're not given the time to process. There are moments when the questions and hurt that you have sound a little bit too harsh to somebody else. And so that person that you told that you were struggling, they they wonder if you should be more polite in what you're saying rather than the things that they feel like might sting to God as if he can't take that. More than often, the culture religion tells us, don't go there. When sometimes we really need to go there, don't we? Because it don't help not going anywhere. When sometimes we need to go there. And we can go there with recognizing that there's this difference between approaching God with accusations of cruelty. You don't love me. You hate me. Versus a desire to ask God directly, if you love me, if you hear me, Lord, do you hear me? Do you hear my distress? I just need to know. I confess there are times when I have to resist that temptation, to to correct friends whenever they're going through hard things. Often in times when, when folks are going through things, I have to remind myself, don't be like Job's friends. Don't be them. I'm a sinner. I get that. I ain't going to do it perfectly. But that's probably an example of what not to do. Don't, don't be like Job's friends where they, they try to correct the pain that he's going through. Let God handle that because we see in the end of Job, God did take care of that. Doing things like this robs people of the opportunity to come to the throne honestly. Psalm 77 should represent a therapy couch, not a stand for trial. An open space to be heard in transparency so we can grow in our circumstances. It's hard to do that on trial. I mean, it's hard to do that in therapy too, I'm sure. It's much more comfort in space. Sometimes we try to approach the throne of God well-polished and presented rather than raw and truthful. But I'm going to point to the scripture up here, Psalm 51, verses 16 through 17, which tells us that you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Now, within this context, there's a prophet Nathan confronting David after committing adultery. 
And to come to God after sin is to be so vulnerable to him because God knows our guilt. Yet God will not reject a broken and repentant heart. So it makes me think about how much more the Lord is willing to hear the hearts of the poor and the powerless. And I'm not just talking physically poor and powerless, but I'm talking brokenhearted, poor hearted and powerless in hearts. Those moments where we sink so deep into despair, we feel powerless, poor in spirit. And when we're poor in spirit, the Lord wants us to come running straight to him. The same way a child runs to their mother or father or loving babysitter the moment they hurt themselves. Come running. I think that while both the world and religion show differences in how they influence the way we write our own psalm, I do think there's a similarity that these two share. Both can cling to the fear of confronting our pain. Both fear the pain and confronting it. The world influences our complaints by reiterating to us that, go ahead, complain, just keep going, go on, go on, but doesn't do the best in providing solutions because dealing with a heart issue can be very painful. It's so much easier to complain about my enemy, my circumstance, or my own pain, rather than working to confront this pain with God. It means more conflict to deal with, and I hate dealing with conflict, so I see myself in this. And while that's going on, religion tells us, or maybe I should say me, (laughs) to conceal and stuff down our pain. Insert the Christian cliches in scriptures, sharing scenarios to, to cover up how you're feeling. Pretend like all is well and don't offend God, but instead God is telling us to come with him with our pain. That's what Psalm 77 wants us to do. Come to the Lord with your pain. Grieve and lament that your reality is beyond hard. It's agonizing. He knows, but be aware that in it all, we can always come back to the cross. We don't have to share our pain to God and then feel like we need to immediately correct ourselves. You don't have to correct yourself. We get the chance to lament and remember who God is and what he's done for you and then be in awe of God's faithfulness, just like the author did, just like he was in awe of God's faithfulness to him and to Israel. God hasn't promised us that we will never endure suffering, but he does promise to be there for us to get through it. The same way that in verse 19, it says, your road led to the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway nobody knew was there. You led your people along that road like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. We don't get to, or we don't get over our hardships, but we get through them. When God leads his people through the sea, the text describes the sea not as a vacation spot that we used to, not as the beach that we like to lounge on and work on your tan and, and you know what I mean, soak up some sun, get some water, feel nice and cool. This, this, this ain't the sea that Israel's thinking of. They thinking, um, you know, within their context, hey, the sea is destructive. This thing's mighty. This thing is scary. I ain't stepping in there. 
unless I have to. It swallows up. It causes fear. And it's seen as this chaotic thing. And God chooses to demonstrate his power over the sea, not only through splitting that sea, but giving his people safe passage through that sea. Through it, not over it, not under it, not behind the sea, not over the sea, walking straight through that sea. That scary, intimidating sea. And walking with his people straight through it. The moment Pharaoh and his goonies decide to go in, the waves crash right on them. But he keeps his people safe. Every one of them made it across just fine. He guarantees that he will be with us all the way as we work through our complaints, the same way that Jesus depended on the Father to work through his pain, his sorrow, his weariness. Being fully God and yet fully man, Let's not forget that. Fully man, he knew he would be born into this world with limitations. And the only way to live a life perfectly with limitations is to depend on the Father. Not us, Jesus. We we can't do that. (laughs) And this isn't just good news for believers, but it's the truth for all who don't know God, that his sacrifice was for you, and you can know this truth. You can have a father that you can vent to and who will walk you through your lament. First Timothy chapter 2, five through six tells us, for there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. That man, Christ Jesus, the man Christ Jesus, I read that wrong. <laughs> he gave his life to purchase freedom for who? Everyone, everybody. So what does that mean for us practically then? Well, this gives us an idea of what the pendulum can look like in our lives, right? We talked about the world, religion, the Psalms in the middle. In our flesh, it can become easy to complain with no end, no real solution, and no seeking of hope. Or we can put on a show, a play, a part of our theater, We can come to God too correct that we're not being honest. Or we're trying to hide how we really feel. Maybe a better way of saying that is too polished. But for both of these areas, I'd like to propose a few possible solutions. So this is where it gets pretty practical. When we find ourselves wanting to grieve and complain with no end in sight, we ought to consider three things. It's probably more, but I got three for today. (laughs) Talk to friends and talk to God. God has brought enough shoulders to cry on and big enough chests to beat against. That's a quote by Christopher Wright on a commentary on Lamentations. He's given us plenty of shoulders to cry on when we are in despair. So we ought to seek a a shoulder to cry on. People are a necessity. They bring comfort to help us in our seasons of lament, whether people are there to speak and listen or ultimately just be there to grieve with you. This is a good thing that God has given us. And a good friend will also ask you if you've landed the plane. 
<laughs> land the plane. What's land the plane? What does that mean? That's my second one here. Land the plane. One of, it's one of those things that, that Kat and I do whenever we have a hard time explaining our frustrations to one another. It's to say, give me time to land this plane. <laughs> it's not meant to be a free pass to, to say something hurtful to one another or about somebody else, but it is an opportunity to give space to, to fully flesh out what you're feeling. Because sometimes it's hard to put things into words, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm an internal processor. I need time to land the plane because I'm like thinking as I'm talking, and sometimes it don't always make sense. And to actively land that plane means for her to give me that space to, to work on getting to my final point. So let, let the engine fly. Be honest. Be transparent with where you are in your situation and circumstance, and know that at some point that plane must land, though. It has to come to a halt. So what do we do once a plane lands, you know? And the third one I got for y'all is to document and remember. Do you have ways to remember that there is hope? That may be certain practices that help you remember, whether that's praying to God in the morning praying to God in the evening. That might be another practice of having tangible ways to remember that God is good. One of the things that we try to do, and and I admit that we have not done this as as much as, you know what I mean, fell off the wagon trying to get back home. But we we got this thing called this prayer jar where if we've seen God work in some great ways, we write on a sticky note, throw it in there. And by the end, of the end of the month, the hope is to be able to go back and look at those things and remember that God is good. He does good things. He's a good and wonderful Savior. And so it's important to document and remember that. That might be writing in your journal. Whatever it is you need to do to remember that God is good. Now, if we find ourselves wanting to hide our true feelings from God or not wanting to present how we're feeling to him, there's also things that we should do in those moments. And I got two things for y'all to consider. One, regularly meet with a friend who's willing to ask you, how are you truly doing? They shouldn't be afraid to push you to be honest. This can create safe space to process the things that you grieve. And so that could be meeting with a friend that you trust with the hard things once a a week, once a month, every other week. But to have a a regular space and time where you can be open and honest. And and that space don't need to just be this, hey, tell me what you did wrong or or tell me how you feeling and, and grieving. Like those are moments of praise too. And so we gotta also embrace the second half of the psalm where even in spite of all of the hardships that I'm facing, God is still good. And space for that friend to remind you of that too. So have that space in that friend that you can continue to go to. And then the second point is to set up a safe space and time to do that first one. Actually, I kind of just said that already. Okay. You got to commit meet with somebody, and then you got to set up that space and time. Otherwise, it ain't going to happen. You know what I mean? 
That's actually one of the things that I appreciate about, about John is, you know, we have moments where he's actually really good at reaching out to folks. And so he often reaches out to me to ask me how I'm doing. And um, yeah, I just want to share that I appreciate those moments. And there are times where I'm like, I don't want you to know how I'm doing because I don't feel like going into this. <laughs> but his transparency and vulnerability teaches me to do the same. And I have other friends in, in here that I get to share those moments with too. Um, and so it's a very good thing. And if you're not a Christian and you're trying to set these systems up in your life, which is a good thing, the thing that I want to challenge you to is there's always going to be times of sorrow and pain in our lives, Christian or non-Christian. The question is, what is the, the final hope that you have that you can cling to? Although God hasn't removed us from pain now, there is Jesus who, through his sacrifice, wants you to know that faith in him provides an eternity with psalms of praise and joy only. And so there's an end where there will be relief. I'm sorry that we go through those moments today, you know, but there's a day where there will be praise and joy only. We can remember those hard times, but know that we got something to look forward to. There's hope in Jesus. So remember that Psalms are helpful language to remind us that it's okay to give our complaints to God and to see him as hope, recognizing who God is in his love for his people will be enough to remind us that we are loved. And God is one who wants to hear the songs of each and every one of your hearts. These are your prayers, and he's tuned into what you have to say. But one thing that I also love reminding myself of, uh, and this actually came from Pastor Josh, uh, he says many times that God wants to listen to our songs And he also sings sweet songs over each and every one of us, too. So let's continue to sing honest songs to the Lord, wherever you are in your life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you sing over us. Thank you so much that you hear our songs. God, I can't know everyone's pain and sorrow today, but you do and you can. And I just want to recognize, Lord, that in seasons of lament, it can be hard to come to you as well. But help us remember that you were there to listen to us and remind us that you are good and that you adore us. As big and mighty as you are, you create space for us, Lord, to hear and to listen. You are no absent, Father. You are always present. And so let your word and your truth fill us to the point where we can feel and know that you are good, Lord. Sometimes we do need to feel it, and that's okay. 
but let it be truth that fills us with joy. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. At this time,